Hey, everybody. Welcome back in Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale. Great show coming up for you today with outgoing RSL man Freddie Juarez. As everybody should know by now, Freddie Juarez effectively resigned, departed from RSL a week ago and is taking an assistant role with the Seattle Sounders. And we talk with Freddie a little bit about that decision, some of the things that went into the decision, the timing of the conversations. Um, some things have come out on Twitter. There was a report from um, Felipe Cardenas in The Athletic about Atlanta paying RSL the exit fee and how that's just another example of how great Garth Lagerway is. Like, it implies, Ryan, that the timing of this had been in the works for a long time. I do not believe that to be the case. And all the people I've talked to, what I think was reported or what was the information that was given to Felipe, who I believe is based in Atlanta. He's very close to Atlanta United. Effectively, the buyout fee that Atlanta paid Seattle for Gonzalo Pineda to leave uh, the assistant post in Seattle to go be the head man in uh, with Atlanta United is equal to the amount of money that Seattle is paying RSL. So there was no Atlanta RSL direct transaction, which I think was implied in the tweet as of uh, Tuesday, um, August 31st is when that was out there. So what that did, though, was create some um, confusion in the RSL Twitter sphere about how long had Freddie been coaching with one foot out the door and you know, were all the proper protocols followed. Um, I did see a tweet from uh, the RSL show, Jake Simons, who basically, I think, clarified a lot of this, where um, only the Colorado game was coached with Freddie aware that Seattle had asked permission uh, to talk to Freddie. And then after that 2-1 loss at Colorado was when uh, things sort of heated up. There's obviously been speculation about would Freddie have made it to the end of the season anyway. I think he would have. He had the team above the playoff line. But, you know, the disappointment of kind of some of the repeated mistakes of dropping points from winning positions. Certainly Freddie was criticized heavily by the fan base and by uh, media members for the timing and content of his substitution patterns. Um, and and look, as we get into it here with Freddie, the, the last piece that I'll say is that, you know, Freddie didn't know if he was going to have a job here in three or four months. So when he's presented with a longer-term opportunity, even though it is a step down from head coach of a playoff team to assistant coach, of what's probably um, considered a North American super club in in Seattle, uh, but knowing where your paycheck is going to come from over the next two and a half, three years. And look, we heard Dunny talk about this on the broadcast of the Vancouver game, where it's 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 a rare, extremely rare and unique decision because you coach. This is Dunny's point. You coach to move up the ladder and become the head coach. 
Freddie's been with this club 11 years, and we get into a lot of his uh, experiences at the academy level, the Monarchs level, and first team level. Um, and I have a theory that I've put out there on a few different uh, shows, ESPN 700 and the RSL show, but I, I, I think Freddie, and we talk about this a little bit, but Freddie was a first-time head coach. He was the interim uh, when Mike Pecky was relieved of his duties in, what, August of um, 2019. Thank you. Um, He was the interim for the rest of that season. He was named the uh, permanent head coach at the end of the 2019 season. Um, He obviously did a good job with that team. That team ends up third in the West. They beat the Supporters' Shield winner, LAFC, in the playoffs in 2019. Everybody's world changed in 2020. So Freddie's learning on the job of how to not just be the tactical genius that has been ascribed to him by no less than Garth Lagerway and Mike Pecky and many others as his strength from a from a whether it's head or assistant managerial capacity. Um, a lot of soccer people who know a lot more than me think he's a brilliant tactician, right? Um, it became a funny, snarky, sarcastic narrative on Twitter this year with RSL to refer to him as a tactical genius. Uh, I get it um, because we're seeing some of the same stumbles, fumbles, mistakes uh, repeatedly, namely losing points from winning positions at home. But I, I believe wholeheartedly that the things that are asked of a head coach outside of what happens with those 30 players in the locker room and what happens on the training ground and what happens in the game, being the face of that franchise, having to deal with fans, media, sponsors, all the other club obligations that Freddie had to deal with, most of which, almost all of which happened during a global pandemic, most of which happened in the year since Deloy Hansen announced that he was selling the team. So there has been a lot of variables that a lot of head coaches don't have to deal with ever in their career, and Freddie's had to deal with it all at once. I'm not trying to make excuses for the performance. I think we all agree that the 2021 performance with this roster, despite it being above the playoff line, has not met expectations. It And Freddie bears the brunt of that as the head coach, right? And that's, that's part of that job. But... Um, now he's given a little bit longer-term security, and he gets to go to Seattle and run training sessions and break down video and and do the things a tactician does, preparing for opponents, set pieces, et cetera, et cetera, without having to deal with all the extraneous stuff. And, look, I don't begrudge anybody that wants to know where their paycheck is coming from for the next – I don't know, two and a half, three years, whatever his contract is. So, you know, I'm I'm choosing to take that view on this. I know there are fans that think it's absolute, and media, I think it's absolute crazy that you would leave a head coaching position of a playoff team for that without any of the other circumstances. I think um, 
There are fans. There might be players in that locker room, and we we talked to Freddie here about the response he got from from players, many of which had been around him. Uh, Aaron Herrera by name that had been around him since he was a little since Aaron was a little kid. So there's those roots run deep. Freddie been with this organization for eleven years, and uh, but there are people that that feel like he abandoned RSL during a tenuous time and in a time of need and during a time where based on the roster, based on the playoff trajectory, uh, RSL should be on the upswing. So we get into all that. I think it's a fascinating conversation. Um, It's good to hear Freddie. I know we've been trying to get him on this pod for a long time. Um, I'm I'm disappointed. I'm sorry, actually, that that we weren't able to get him on, um, you know, during preseason or or while he was uh, the head coach, and and maybe it would have been a, a little slightly different uh, conversation from an optimism or an insight standpoint, but I think Freddie gave us 30 plus really good minutes here about a lot of things that went into his decision, um, anecdotes about his time here, uh, what he thinks the next owner of Real Salt Lake needs to to bring to the club and bring to the coaching staff and bring to the roster, and um, you know. Anyway, I just really enjoyed this conversation and. Um, I, I understand that I've had probably a more unique relationship with Freddie than a lot of the media or a lot of the fans that care about this club. So, um, maybe, maybe I'm looking at the world through Claret and Cobalt colored glasses like I usually do. Well, I'm reminded of the way that I was introduced to Freddie, which was him being a guest on, um, on frame. Yeah. And uh, when he was named as the Monarchs head coach, I remember you and Dunny talking to him. And I know I, you knew who he was if you were a fan of RSL. You see, you see that. I mean, that was back when the the um, the academy was kind of getting its finally like getting some attention yeah. stuff like that. And so the, you finally hear the him success talk. Success in Casa Grande. Yeah. yeah, and I think that was the first time I'd heard him speak publicly. And I remember just being like, "This is a good guy. This is yeah. a good guy." And I'm glad that he's part of this this uh, this organization. And then you know, fast forward, you know, nine years later, eight years later. Um, he's a great guy. I love I love talking to Freddie, and that's that's the thing. When the when the news broke, you know, that morning last week, um, Twitter was blowing up. Just reading all these things, all the feelings that that brought up. You know, we've gone through a couple of different coach changes, coaching changes in the last couple of years, and this one's been this one felt definitely different than that. But there was a lot of questions, and a lot of people were like, you know, a lot of different. My my perspective changed, like you know, by the minute that morning, and. Uh, you know, I have some drafts on my Twitter. I'm not a good Twitter follow, but I have some good drafts. So maybe I should just start posting Dude, them. Dude, you know Twitter's adding super follows where people can pay for your content. Yeah, maybe. You might have to steer in that direction. But yeah, just watching, watching uh, you know, people that I know, friends and everybody like reacting to this. And like, I think part of it was like, there is that, this was like that last shoe drop of like, you know, where's the loyalty? Where's this? Where's that? From both sides, you know? And I think that you can't, you can't, uh, can't fault anybody, especially right now, for finding a better working situation or a different working situation or, a, you know, taking the next step up. Um, and I do think that, you know, a lot of us here that are still here are like, you know, we'll we'll definitely miss Freddie. But I think that we know, like, things got to change. And, you know, I think he, you can hear that in his voice as he's talking to. I think I think that we're, you know, ourselves in a better place because of Freddie. And I think it also ourselves going to be in a better place. Yeah. After Freddie too, and I think that that's you know because of him. So I'm, I'm gonna miss him. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's always been great to me, and I think he's kind of you know, the the culture of RSL is a lot of what Freddie brought to this team over the last decade. For so, sure. So 
Um, best of luck to him, man. I, I love that guy. Yeah. I mean, if if everything goes according to uh, karma, according to plan, I think there'll be an RSL Seattle playoff series uh, here in a couple months. So um, Pablo Mastroini, obviously the interim head coach. Hopefully we'll get him on the pod. If you've heard Pablo on ESPN 700 each week with, with Spencer Checkets, you understand what a great communicator he is, what a positive vibe he's brought. And, and Freddie gets into that a little bit in this interview upcoming about uh, what Pablo's brought to the staff, what Nacho has brought to the staff. And he was the goalkeeper coach with Freddie uh, down at the academy level, and now he's on the first team. Matt Taylor, also a new coach. And and, and Freddie does touch on um, how the certainty of those coaching contracts affects everybody's decisions. And, again, these are strange times because of COVID. These are strange times because of the ownership, um, the impending ownership transition. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody has a crystal ball. So, um We'd love to hear your feedback on this interview from Freddie Juarez, the former head coach of Real Salt Lake, now the assistant coach at Seattle Sounders FC, right here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, presented to you by our friend Adam Sessions and at One Wire VOIP. Hey, gang, I know uh, you've heard us talk about Adam Sessions and, and One Wire, our sponsor here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt for the last several months. If you need an ISP, an internet service provider, if you're looking for an alternative, maybe you're not a small business owner, but you work for one, tell your boss to check these guys out. You can go find Adam and information about One Wire at onewirefiber.com. Uh, get away from the big guys. These guys will take care of you. They have all the expertise and much, much better customer service than anybody else does. Voice, video, text for business, seamless, secure, cost-effective communications. You can modernize your office with one wire, um, add productivity, reduce costs. They provide phone and network features unmatched by anyone. Again, they're Utah born and bred. They love Real Salt Lake. So check them out at onewirefiber.com. Ask for Adam, and I guarantee you will not be disappointed. All right, welcome back in. Bleeding Clara and Cobalt. I'm your host, Trey Fitzgerald, the man behind the glass, super producer, Ryan Hale. And we are honored today to have on the line a very special guest, Freddie Juarez, who just uh, about 72 hours or so ago announced that uh, he is departing Real Salt Lake. We found out since that he is heading up to Seattle to uh, rejoin some of our old friends in Garth Lagerway. Craig Weibel is there as well. And uh, and obviously being a part of Brian Schmetzer's staff is is a great opportunity. So Freddie, thanks for hanging out with us today, and and uh, we look forward to kind of retracing some of the steps of your 11 years with Real Salt Lake, if you can believe it's been that long. 11 years, man. It's been it's been a while, Trey. We've been here for for a good chunk of well, really all my professional um, as far as after playing is concerned. I've been with um, Real Salt Lake. Yeah, so, you know, Freddie, you and I have always kind of uh, bonded over the fact that, that we were both born and bred in uh, the great 
land of enchantment down in uh, New Mexico. You're a Las Cruces guy. I'm an Albuquerque guy. But could you have imagined back in those early days at Casa Grande that uh, that at some point you'd be in Salt Lake with that with that big facility in Harriman and and a packed stadium in Sandy uh, running this club? I never, and it, it was never anything that I was like, I need to get through the academy and, and looking towards the future of being a, an MLS head coach. It was, that was never the case. I was always happy coaching, like you said, in, in our state of New Mexico when I was, uh, you know, during the summer or, or winter months when the USL was done, I'd head home and coach, you know, uh, the club back home. And I was always happy with that. Um, then academy came about and I wasn't happy with that because all of a sudden it was a different level. Right. And so, all these steps that just happened in my career was nothing that I was like had as goals. But I guess, you know, a little bit, you just started kind of saying, well, you know, things will take care of themselves. If you just do good work, uh, people will take notice. And I was fortunate enough to have people like Garth, uh, Jason Christ, Jeff, you know, some of those early guys, Miles, you know, obviously Vanny and, and those guys, Martin, that worked at the academy that they always, you know, you know, there were people I could learn from, but they also uh, gave confidence. They had confidence in me in, in decisions and whatever they needed, I, I supported and whatever I needed, they supported. And, and because of all those names that I just, you know, mentioned, those are guys, they're, they're part of a reason why I am where I am. Yeah. And, and we'll trace that path a little bit, but, um, you know, Elliot Fall, the GM for Rail Salt Lake, uh, um, last Friday, he used the word bittersweet to talk about um, the decision, uh, your decision to depart RSL, and that it was a bittersweet day. And I think that's that's the appropriate word because, I mean, for me, from the outside, looking in, uh, knowing your path, your history with all those uh, people that you just mentioned and many, many other people that – have built uh, this club that we love so much here. Um, it is hard to watch you go, but, you know, for me, the decision makes sense because this club is in a bit of a tenuous situation, I think, from an ownership standpoint. It's And, and hopefully that gets resolved by the end of the year, but who knows? And um, by, you know, the reports, you know, um, you – your personal situation, your contract situation was a little bit uncertain at the end of this year as well. And so for you to have that security and that opportunity to be a part of, of what I think and I think what many think is uh, the most well-run organization in Major League Soccer uh, with the Seattle Sounders, that, that, that has to have been um, quite a decision for you to make and weighing all those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Trey. I mean, it's, 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 uh, I guess bittersweet is, is it, you know, I, I was definitely in the past, you know, you, you tell yourself I've been in a place like this, you know, we unfortunately we've gone through a lot of turnover, a lot of, I, I don't know what you want to call it, just situations that have happened within the club in the last three, four five years that, that in a way kind of get exhausting. Right. And, and and it, it keeps the club from from growing uh, in a way. And so I was fortunate enough, and I, this isn't against the club or anything of like that, but I was fortunate enough where Rob and Ali and them did support me this year with, look, it's it's going into my second full year. I need my own staff. I, I, there's a there's a, an idea of what I have, what a, a day-to-day should look like, feel like. And I, I say feel, which is most important that I, I wanted to bring in people that 
that were positive or energetic, you know, being what we've gone through in the last few years, a lot of people don't talk about it, but it, it, it clouds your mind. You get, you get um, pessimistic. You, you maybe start blaming other people. You know, we went through a lot of furloughs, all that contracts not picked up by people that, that then now I wasn't only man, not, uh, you know, having to manage my group. I'm having to manage staff members because maybe they're not, they're not happy with how they were treated and, and, or all that. And it became exhausting. So the club backed me up and they let me bring in some amazing people, you know, starting, you know, my first guy was Ignacio that I had at the Academy. I know what he can do in the locker room. I know his qualities as a footballer. I know the vibes that he's going to bring. That was fundamental. Then Pablo's name came up and I had a chat with Pablo and the first conversation we had, it wasn't about football. It was just about, you know, my, my, um, my point to him was I wasn't going to use the excuse and no one that was going to be uh, affiliated with myself or the club was going to use the excuse of we didn't have the right roster. We didn't have the right talent. It was all going to be about let's make the players better. And our job is to get one or two percent more out of the guys. If we get DPs, if we get that, like no more of that. Like, I don't want that. That's exhausting. We got to do the best. And if at the end of the day, it's not good enough, then our coaching wasn't good enough. And if we do make everyone better, then amazing. And so that, that was a conversation I had with, you know, Matt Taylor and, and Pablo. And when I was talking to Pablo, it was 100%. After, that's all I want to do is coach good vibes, you know, and, and, and it was, and this was probably the best that I've had at Arsa as far or, or one of, um, where we, you know, it was just that right mixture of people in the office and the vibes and it's all, it was all going in the right direction and going in the right direction, Trey. And unfortunately this, this opportunity comes and then you have to then start looking at things like that. You talked about, uh, club didn't approach me to, to renew. Uh, I understand. Um, I hope they didn't approach other people and, and, and approach them with, because that would be kind of, that would be, it would hurt that, that they tell me one thing and then, but then they renew other people. And, um, and I'm not talking about my staff, but elsewhere in the, in the, in the club, you know, because what I was told was you can't really do anything because the league is running it. So it is what it is. And also that we could wait till the end of the year, but when you're thinking about family and also when opportunities come that are sometimes in a way, like you said, a super club, maybe too good to be true, but also a, great GM, very, very, very good coach at, I have called on many occasions to ask for advice and he's always given me a straight answer and, and had time for my questions, uh, that I felt like, yeah, you know what? It, it maybe is time. And in the world, the universe, where we joke around in the office, the universe is putting this in front of you. And, it, and now do you want to make a decision and, and take it? And it, I made that decision because I think the, uh, I believe Maybe people might disagree, but I believe I left the club leaving now better than when I when I got it, yeah. and so that makes me proud. How uh, how shocked or surprised or uh, th- those may not be the right words, but were you when when and I don't know how that all works, but I assume that you know Seattle asked permission from RSL to talk to you, and then and then boom, you know I assume Elliot or Rob or whoever isn't going to stand in the way of, a, of what might be the right opportunity. At least that's the philosophy I've always had with, with, with people in my groups that, Hey, let's let them figure it out. What's best for them and their family. And then, and then suddenly you're, you know, 
it's probably it probably wasn't that long before um, you made the decision, but to even have the opportunity to have that discussion with, I don't know, Garth is uh, is kind of the um, through line that everybody points to, but I, I think uh, people are also curious about the type of relationship you have with Schmetzer. So in those conversations, I guess, how shocked were you that that opportunity even arose mid-season? Yeah, I, I was I was shocked. You know, Garth, it, it's funny because Garth, Garth has been in my life from when I got the academy, but we really never worked together. Yeah. So, you know, he was he was here. I was in Arizona. You know, we saw him maybe twice a year. There was always communication for sure. But even then it was like with with Martin or whatever, because he was a the director and I was the coach. Right. But there was always good relationship, respect, obviously, for what he was doing and, and being the boss. And then he promotes me. I get here and he leaves. <laughs> So there was never really like okay. a day to day work with Garth, but I, you know, maybe I left an impression. I, I don't know. I did work with Craig um, here. So the, with Craig, I have a little bit more of a relationship. Even then we weren't like off the field friends, but I think there's mutual respect for what people have done. Uh, and with Brian, I've, I've kept track of Brian. I played in the USL days when he was a USL coach. Sure. So I played against him um through this whole process as an assistant and even when i got the head coaching he was a guy that asked for um you know just questions that i had and how he would deal with it and also you know tyrone tyrone marshall someone yep. that played for him and 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 i think um he will you know he there was always communication within our staff and their staff so there's somewhat of a relationship there with with brian and when i when i've called and asked and how to manage things and of that nature he's always given an honest answer and, and had time for me. A lot of times I don't, I mean, why would he have to like, and that, that for me, just like I would, this would be someone if I ever went to be an assistant somewhere, there's a handful of guys and, and Brian is one of those. And, and this opportunity came and yeah, it's, it was easy for me. I also didn't, there wasn't anything. I also wasn't like totally from the, from our place saying like, no, we, we want you to stay. We want you to stay. I think, they would have kept me or at least to, you know, obviously to the end of the year, unless something really went wrong, but there was never a, uh, no, 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 no. We want you here. Like I, I'm sure Seattle wants you, but we want you here. So again, I think the universe places things, uh, in front of you and, and it's not, I didn't want to be begged or anything, but you know, sometimes you, you want to be wanted. Yeah. And I think that's, that's everyone. So I think it was just time with, with how Seattle came about this and how quickly they pushed through it. What uh, what kind of messages uh, did you get uh, from the RSL locker room when you told them your decision? Because obviously there's a lot of guys in there that have been through a lot of wars with you, um, whether it's at the academy level, the Monarchs level, uh, or all three levels. Yeah, some good messages. You know, you get, you get some players. Uh, I didn't get something from every player, which is understandable. There's probably guys that don't like me much and, and guys that do like me. I would, I, I'd like to believe that I had a good relationship with everyone. I acknowledged everyone. I talked to everyone. It's, it's fair to say some guys could probably be upset because, you know, they're not maybe on the, on the regular of playing and all that. But for the most part, very good messages. Some um, very supportive, you know, saying it was a, too good to be, you know, to give, not, not take it and um, things of that nature, which I, they made it very easy in that, that, you know, very supportive. I'm going to miss them. Definitely. You know, Aaron, Justin, all the Academy guys yeah. hold 
that, like you said, I've been with for too many years. In Aaron's case, I've known him since he was a, a child. With his, his his dad played with my brother, so I've known Aaron from my hometown. Jay Glad, all those guys, and then and then the relationship I made with with all the the other guys, you know, Demir, sure. Albert, making him the captain. You have, you know, I thought Zach helped us a lot this year. Yeah. David Ochoa, I mean, amazing, amazing people. Marcelo, Pablo, all those guys, they're very supportive. I think on on the human side, they could probably potentially be a little hurt and upset, sure. and that's the football world. But on the human side, I got nothing but good texts of that they were happy for me and they thought it was a good, a good move and decision for my future. Yeah. I think that's the hard thing um, that fans sometimes have a, have a tough time recognizing is that sports is a, it's a volatile world and this is the life we've all chosen. But man, when you are moving around or, you know, it's a results oriented business and, and uh, things can change quickly overnight for various reasons. But I guess, uh, you know, just, so you know, from my standpoint, I think good things happen to good people, and uh, you're definitely that. You've given your heart and soul to this club for 11 years, and and obviously the timing may not be ideal, but it's an opportunity you probably just can't pass up to to be a part of uh, the Sounders and and all the things that that they've been able to do uh, up there under under especially in my view Garth's supervision, but uh, obviously Brian Schmetzer's as well. Yeah, there's a, there's you're right. There's never a right time. I definitely wasn't looking for it, you know. And it's 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 just crazy how things work out. But I've I've been more than happy here. At times, like I told you, it's, you know, you've been here, and sometimes you think that the football world and it's growing so quick. Um, I think we're a little bit behind as far as you know because of our financial situation. That, that that it is it is overwhelming for all departments at moments um but yeah when someone like seattle comes and schmetzer who's a uh, uh, you know he's a local he has the love of the people and he knows what seattle is he bleeds the colors i mean that's that's the that's the person that's the guy you know for the club and then you have like you said garth who has a vision who's proven winner who figures out ways of getting things done one way or another, uh, you mix those two things together and you, you start having what they are. And in my, in my opinion, you know, uh, Central North America and probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest club and not history wise, but what they're doing and, and uh, what they're trying to do and 40 some thousand fans a game. And like, they're doing a lot of good things. And I think they're on the, with, with more vision to do more, right. They want to win the CONCACAF. They want to do that type of stuff, which for me is exciting. You're, you're, you know, they're they're backing it up with in all departments, not just players. I'm talking about sure. data analysis, scouting. Like they're they have they want to be the best in every department. The the academy, the academy. We haven't talked about the academy. I I got a good friend that works up there, and they've been doing work for the last five years, bringing in players from Vegas, from Hawaii, from wherever on the down low. And now you're seeing those guys get results in Austin. Those same kids, right? So. They're they're doing their thing there as well, and so that this club is is going in the right direction. Um, that's a good place for me to kind of get your opinion of what you hope. Uh, whoever the new owner or ownership group of Real Salt Lake is, um, I mean, I guess explain your view of what 
they're going to get here because obviously the culture that Dave Checkett's created, the infrastructure that Deloy Hansen created, uh, the big fish in a small pond relevance that I think Real Salt Lake does have in the Utah sports community are all things that I think a lot of MLS teams uh, don't have and would love to have. But as you mentioned, and as we all acknowledge, things have been volatile for the last, I don't know, several years, probably ever since, you know, Garth left in the end of 2014. So um, I guess just what's your, what's your view on, on what somebody is buying and what they need to do to, to make this club the best it can be? I think you you hit some good points. There, there's, I, I don't want to sound. I hope I'm not sounding like there's a whole lot to do. I think that we have a lot of the pieces all together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like a Lego collection, and now you just got to come and, and and finish up the puzzle. And if for me, when I'm talking about, you know, all all departments, I mean, from the from our. I tried to do a little bit of this last year. And then obviously when, you know, you need a set piece coach, you need more people working in the uh, video analysis yeah. part, um, front office, you know, for Elliot and Rob and those guys and, and, and um, Kurt, more scouting guys that actually, they got to be around up and around. You, you rarely should even see them because they have such a good scouting network that it allows you to sit down and interview people and watch them that you're, you're planning to bring in, you know, months, years in advance, mm-hmm. you know, you know what their, their contract situation is, you know, the type of person that's going to come. Um, that, that takes all fin- financial backing, a nutritionist, uh, a, a masseuse, um, like all these things that behind the scenes, people don't know that we, we just, you know, we had to cut back on we had to cut back or never even had it. And, and so now you're taking a fly on people. And I know we, 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 we make a big deal about players that we're bringing in and, and the club does, I think the best they can, but sometimes we sell a narrative to the people and in, 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 in truth, we didn't really in depth know what we're getting because we didn't invest in what we have to, to do of what kind of person we're getting, you know, what, you know, like, the clubs that bring in guys and they, you know, that are going to, you, you know, it's never a hundred percent that someone's going to come and kill it right away, but you can help yourself by really doing a lot of this background check and really scouting and really spending the time. But we never had the funds to have someone go for six, seven trips and watch how someone reacts mm-hmm. and how they're living outside of football. And so I think our front office has done a pretty good job for what they've given, but I think, in the long run, if we want to compete with these clubs that are doing, it doesn't. I, I don't think you have to break the bank on paying someone their salary or transfer fee, but I do think you have to invest in the scouting, in how you go watch them, in the amount of times you go and, and, and visit with the person. Like I think all that is what I'm talking about. Sure. Um, but we are doing some investing in some, but like I think we have one of the best, if not the best, training facility in in, in North America. We have a very good academy with residency um, where we can still make those kids better, right? With psychological and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. Like those are the directions that I, I think an investor needs to come in and understand that being oh, like we, we got into this thing. And I think one of the worst things that ever happened to us was at the Academy was we won championships and got into championships. Mm-hmm. We, and But what I mean by that is 
we won with not investing a whole lot of money. And then so in people's eyes, oh, well, we don't have to invest money. We already won a championship, you know, and I think that that backfires when everyone else catches up. Well, it's you the whole winning versus development debate, right? At that, Yeah. Level. Yep. But even then, what I'm saying is we, there was still more stuff that needed to be invested into sure. the players. Yeah. But we were winning. So people look at it as like, well, well, you're winning. Why do we need to invest more? Why do you need to travel to Europe to make those kids better? Like we never did any of that. Like I mm. – wish we could have taken both of them to Europe multiple times a year so they can see instead of winning six, seven, zero here, they're maybe losing three, four, zero or competing or winning. Like, so that's, that's, those are what I hope an investor can come and really see the whole picture, help out in all departments. So you can really get the best out of every employee, every player, because Trey, you've been in the, in this world, you know, if you don't have help, it's tough, man. Yeah, sure. so, well, like you said, the world, I mean, this soccer world in the United States is changing so fast in North America, I should say. Um, and I mean, I think back, I mean, even just looking at the economic realities, right, of, of what players are making now compared to only 10 years ago. Um, and the economics, and I think it's good for the players for sure, but it's it's crazy to think that, you know, your average left back in MLS is making what used to be the DP salary for Sabo and Javi 10 years ago. You know, that's insane yeah. to me. And, and having been out of this league for the last, I don't know, three years or so, um, I'm having trouble catching up. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, too, is how hard, um, if you can, describe or put it into words, that while you were, you know, the permanent head coach of this franchise – um, you're dealing with a global pandemic, right? So you're not able, you're expected to be one of the faces of the franchise, but you're not able to deal with fans and media and sponsors and handle a lot of those club obligations that a head coach normally does unless it's through Zoom, which I think everybody is well past exhausted of the Zoom era, and it's just such an impersonal way for you to try to educate and inform, um, you know, the fan base or the people covering your team and, and, and try to have people buy into what uh, the philosophy and the identities are. Yeah, it was, it was challenging. Trey. I ain't going to lie. I, I, it, first and foremost, that hit. But before that, I was new to this. Sure. I'm new to being a head coach. So, I'm learning on the job and some people um, have had great results with that and gone done super well. Some people have struggled for two, three years and then you see, and, and, and I think that's the majority of people and I'm, yeah. that's me included where you're, I'm, I, yeah, I know soccer. Yeah. I know how to put a, a training session together. Yes. I can, you know, chop some video together and put a great presentation for you. I can do all that, but there, nothing prepares you for dealing with, personalities and building a culture and all that, that comes with experience. And I think that's one thing that I really targeted this year. So last year I didn't do that. Last year was it's my first, first, first year, uh, as a head coach. I think the year before I, I, yeah, we did great soccer wise, but I was basically a new voice, you know, and, yeah. and then now you get a whole year of, or a whole preseason and you have to implement your things, which I thought the team started well. And then COVID hit. 
And, and, and it wasn't just hard for me. It was hard for every person in this world. Of course. But definitely on my lack of experience of managing things, I was learning on the job. And, and I failed there. And I, I, you could tell my inexperience in, in managing players, conversations. And, and, and for me, I don't, I don't mind saying it. I, that's where I needed most growth in. And I thought this year was where I've gotten a lot better and shown the most growth in that. And you could see in, if you were ever around the team and the camaraderie and the locker room vibes. And if you passed by the hallway, you could hear guys laughing and enjoying it was, still wasn't done, but we were setting a good base down for whatever comes after. And yeah. that's what I'm most proud of this year, but what I lacked last year. Um, no, I think that's that's so well said and, and perfectly understandable um, for all of us that are on kind of the outside looking in, not not quite knowing that dynamic and how that works and just, you know, trying to kind of guess at that kind of stuff. Um what uh, as we wrap this up, I just want to kind of hit on what are what are some of your favorite uh, memories uh, in eleven years with this club? For Academy, one hundred percent. Our very first year with with Martin and Mike Mu- or Mike Munoz and myself yep. and Mike Robosca. Vanny had already left at mid year, but we got the team in our very first year. Our U sixteens got third in the country. Amazing feeling. Um. Another one in the academy was winning the championship now, now with with the really going out and scouting and bringing in more Utah kids, Arizona kids. I was a bull fool. I was at 97 group that so many of them went on to play professional collegiately. Yeah. Monarchs, I love the, the, you know, the Monarchs was just an amazing feeling of trying to put something together that no one knew anything about. And we struggled. We trained in, I don't know, seven, eight different places that I can recall. We yeah. were driving everywhere. That was a, it was, it was tough. The Monarchs was tough, but I knew, I knew the importance of it, but it wasn't easy. And I think, uh, later on, you know, as it smoothed out and the front office got a, you know, hold of it and and, and it became a little easier for the coaches because we got facility, but man, it was, it was difficult the first year to put a roster together, manage first team players that came down. They didn't know what it was. You know, what, what am I doing? Playing down there? Like what? You know, so that was challenging. And then I got a, Every single day of being with the first team, I got to say thank you to Jeff Kassar, to Mike, um, both guys that, that Pecky who, who really helped me and, and supported me, but man, they let me do have an, uh, an opinion yeah. and, and run stuff and not, not just, not just lay cones down, which I owe all those guys a lot of credit. Um, super good people. And then to Rob and, and those guys, the front office guy, Elliot, and those guys that allowed me and supported me to stay, to to have that first home game against Red Bull um, as a as a as a head coach was sometimes I'll I'll remember. And this year, this 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 my last my last talk to the guys because it, it was it was difficult and I was leaving some very very good people mm. and, and I'll always I'll always remember that and, and that that there brought all my memories of the last 11 years and, and, and how good it's been. Cause it, it really has been good. It's been difficult, but the way I look at it is it's, it's been difficult, like all our life, right? Yeah. Trey, everything, everything you do, there's always difficult moments. So we, we went through some difficult moments and I think the club's now just starting to get back on track and we hope that that owner can come and make the difference. No, that's, that's well said. Um, two more questions. First, how, I guess proud are you of being 
an example, but also somebody that really helped develop that paradigm for this club of growing from within. Because when you look at yourself, you look at Elliot Fall, Tony Beltran, Hamas and Alave, now even, you know, Luke Mulholland. Um, there's so many other people, too, that that kind of grew in their professional and or post-playing career by rising through the ranks of this club. I mean, I feel like Hamason's growth as a as a head coach of the Monarchs now compared to, you know, when he got here as a as a hulking center back back in 2008 is uh, it's fun to kind of see that progression. And the same thing for everybody. I mean, Elliot was my video intern back in 2007 on the marketing <laughs> side. And and now, um, you know, he's one of, uh, according to Garth, uh, the premier capologist and, and knows those rules and procedures uh better than anybody in Major League Soccer. So uh, what are your thoughts on just kind of how this club has grown and, and what it's become through the, through those types of examples? It's That's a beautiful thing, Trey. And you know what? Maybe I should have mentioned that a while in the, your last question. Of all the people that I love seeing that just push through, and, you know, we got to give some credit to Deloitte. Yeah. Uh, and I, I for sure will give, you know, a thank you to him and to um, Rob, um, Garth, uh, those guys all who in many ways, and I'm going to put this out there too. It's like me being a, you know, Mexican American and, and Olave, you know, Colombian. And like this club has pushed, push minorities through, has pushed from within through like it, it's, it's, a uh, it's a special place for that. It's a special place for that. And I am forever, ever in debt and grateful for what they've done. That said, I pay, I reciprocated with hard work. And put in, put in, put in a lot of hours for this club, and so I think this club will pay you back if you if you work hard for them. My 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 thing for them is continue to to do that because I think people. That's why a lot of people are turned on to RSL. But bring in the best quality people that you best human being. Don't forget the human aspect of it, because I think more than anything that I'm learning now as I'm getting a little bit older is. It's it's not all about the brains and all that, but the human aspect of it and the everyday environment that they bring in for me makes all the difference. Um, and then finally, last thing, I just want to give you an opportunity to to send whatever uh, besides the message that you've sent over the last thirty minutes. Um, you know, what do you what do you have to say to the fans and and the the soccer culture that they've helped uh, create here in Utah over the last uh, seventeen years? No, the amazing experience. I'll be, I'll be back. Right, we'll play some, some, some games <laughs> against RSL, and uh, this is really an amazing place. Utah, Salt Lake, Real Tinto, the fans, the club. Like, I'm forever in debt. I love the culture. I think we're gonna continue to grow. People like yourself, Trey. There's some people out there that I don't agree with out there that, that mentioned some stuff. I think, and I'm going to put this out there too. There's got to be some, some real understanding when you write stuff out and don't just, don't just make up narratives. Don't just, because you get out on social media and you start making up some things and writing things and, and whoever reads it, reads it and they believe it. Like there's reasons why players don't play. There's reasons why decisions aren't made. There's reasons for all that. The day to day is, and we see it and you got to trust the next person that's in line to lead the team, to lead the club. 
um, because I think we have an educated, sophisticated fan base. I really do. I'm out there all the time. I've, I've ran clinics with, with coaches and all that, but sometimes they're not told the right things through the media. Yep. Uh, and, and that influences them and that can turn people on, on, on players, on coaches, on clubs. Yeah. So I think one thing that's always made real Salt Lake, Utah and, 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 and our club competitive is unity. Hmm. I encourage that the club and the fan base is united. Be united. And, and I think with new ownership in, in, in a united front, I think, I think this club can continue to be what it was in its heydays. And, and it, but it, it comes from unity because, man, it gets exhausting when you read stuff and you're just like, that's not true. And, 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 and it's hard, but I think the clubs and the fans can trust each other a little more yeah. and be a little bit more honest with each other for the better of the club because we need to get back to real Tinto being a fortress. And that only comes from the fans. Like that energy is, is second to none when it's, when it's rocking and we need that. And the future of RSL needs the fan base. Uh, that's perfectly said. Well, uh, Freddie, thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. I know you're in the process of uh, packing up and moving. So, uh, again, uh, not just for this, but for 11 years, I've, I've, I've loved working with you. Um, the soccer world's a small place. I know I know. we'll see each other again uh, sooner or later down that road. But uh, best of luck up there with the rave green. And uh, <laughs> certainly give uh, my best to – to Craig and to Garth uh, when you see them. Sounds good. Thank you, Trey, for all the support, and we'll stay in touch. We'll stay in contact there. All right. Sounds good, Freddie. Good luck. Thank you. All right, everybody. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with us, please join us on our socials, Twitter or Instagram, at Claret cobalt we are always up for your banter your guest suggestions uh we'd love to hear from you in terms of corrections omissions uh rsl memories or whatever this show is produced independently by mountain air media and trey fitzgerald recorded at mountain air studios in draper utah the views expressed on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. We really appreciate the strong support we've received from all of you over the last six months. We appreciate all of our partners, our sponsors, our super fans, etc., especially Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. You can catch him, them, I should say, over at One Wire VOIP on Twitter and Instagram. None of this would be possible without the man, the myth, the legend, Ryan Hale.